Well, thank you, whoever's speaking. <laughs> and welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. We're having a good time here on our Memorial Day weekend service. We're glad that you're with us and have joined us. We're in the book of 2 Samuel and chapter 1. 2 Samuel chapter 1. Since this is a holiday and Memorial Day, doing a message just for that purpose from 2 Samuel chapter 1. You'll see why I, I hope in just a moment. Memorial Day is a special holiday uh, for our country. We set aside the last Monday in May every year to remember those who have died in combat, those who have died in military service. And this goes all the way back to the Civil War called Decoration Day in those days. And so uh, we always remember them in special ways, even uh, the, at the um, setting of the reef by the president, uh, at the tomb of the unknown soldier tomorrow, and, and those kinds of things. We have a Veterans Day also, November 11th, for all veterans uh, who have served, and of course that's a special day too. Uh, that goes back to the end of World War I on the, on, in 1918 at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month when the armistice was signed and the war ended. And there's, now we have an Armed Forces Day or Armed Services Day sometimes on the third Saturday of May, and for those who are currently serving. So we go out of our way as a country, and rightly so, to uh, speak about uh, those who have served and the freedoms that we have because of it. And in our service here a few minutes ago, we thank those who served, and if you're watching and you're a veteran, we thank you for your service too. In, second, in the books of Samuel... We have at the end of the book of 1 Samuel the death of Saul and Jonathan. Saul was the king of Israel. Jonathan was his son. And uh, David was come, be, going to become the king. And they come down to the end of uh, 1 Samuel. And if you read that last chapter, you read about the death of King Saul and his son Jonathan by the Philistines on Mount Gilboa. But at the same time, Paul, or Paul, excuse me, David was, was fighting uh, the Amalekites, and so he was in one part of the country, and Saul and Jonathan in the other part. And so what happens in the first chapter of 2 Samuel is David is uh, ending his wars, and he doesn't know that King Saul and Jonathan have died. And so what you have in the first part of this chapter is a young man comes from that battle and he tells David about the death of uh, Saul and Jonathan. And so David gives a lament. And as you begin to read this text in verse 17, and I'll not read the whole thing again, but verse 17 says, David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. And notice then he said, he told them, to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. You notice the title of my message this morning is the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. So here we have David commanding uh, the Israelites to go back to an old book that they know, a book of the wars of Judah and Jerusalem uh, at that time, of course, uh, of uh, Israel, and Remember the song that is in that old book called The Song of the Bow. 
And then David, referring to that old song, writes his own song here, really, about Saul and Jonathan and referring back to that old song that they knew. As a matter of fact, here he will speak of the bow of Jonathan in verse 22. Let me read you a reference to that, that old book. And, and, and what we're saying is, is that evidently there was an old book that now we don't have any longer, but it was called the book of Jasher, and in it they had collected various different wars and things about the history of Israel and things that had happened during their days. Here's one in Joshua chapter 10 about Joshua's long day. Do you remember that, when the sun stood still? Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Abijah. So the sun stood still, and uh, the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. We know that story. But the next line is, is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of the heavens and did not hasten to go down about a whole day. And so even this old story, true, of course, of of uh, Joshua and his fighting was recorded in this book of Jasher. So we know such a book existed, and we know it was about the wars and the famous things that happened to the Israelites in those days. David says we need to remember these things. We need to remember them because our children will forget, and the generations after us will forget what the great men of Israel did. And isn't that why we have a Memorial Day? in America so that we don't forget when the generations go by. Here's what Moses said to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 20. Before they were ready, they finished their wilderness wanderings. They were going to go into the land and possess the land. Moses said to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to save you. And so Moses said, uh, you need to remember these things and you need to do them. Let me also uh, tell you what, he, what is written in the book of Judges chapter 2. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders of Joshua. Let me stop and say, all the days of Joshua is generation number one. And Joshua came through the desert, and then he came into the land, and he was the general that conquered the land. And all the days that outlived Joshua, that's generation number two, who had seen all the great works that the Lord had done for Israel. And then notice this, when all the generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation, third generation, arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work that he had done for Israel. Three generations, this memory had passed away. Now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars of Canaan, that this, was the only gener that this generation of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, lest they forget what was no formerly known. You know, it's kind of true in our day, and always has been true, that about the third generation kind of forgets what's going on. 
after three generations. That can be true in a family, in passing down the faith of our fathers. By about the third generation, they don't remember those early men. They don't remember that early faith. That can be true in a school. It can be true in a church. It can be true in a nation where about the third generation you just don't remember and that generation doesn't know anymore what happened. And so there's always this, this reminding in the Scripture of what our forefathers did and what the generations before us did. And that's what we're looking at here today. Now, notice in this, in this uh, poem, if you call it that, that uh, David has, has uh, spoken, three times you have the expression, in, like in verse 19, how the mighty have fallen. He'll say that three times there, and in verse 25, how the mighty have fallen, and again in verse 27, how the mighty have fallen. It could be that David takes that quotation from the Song of the Bow. Maybe he knew that much, and he took that quotation and he included it here as he writes about Saul and Jonathan. And uh, if that book were still around, I guess it was when David was writing, this part of it probably went into that book also. How the mighty have fallen. And isn't that what we're thinking about on Memorial Day? I want to give you just a personal note. I did to the folks here in the service a few minutes ago, but uh, tomorrow at the National War Museum, World War I Museum, they're honoring our grandfathers, two grandfathers who fought in World War I. Now, neither of them died in the war, but they easily could have. But it's kind of an interesting history. We were down there Friday to the museum, and we went through it. We even found on their big wall chart exactly the days when our grandfather was wounded and so forth, and found all of that. But that war, that World War I, our grandfather was a machine gunner in the, in the front trenches of that, of that uh, time in the, in the Meuse-Argonne Offensive, which was one of the worst battles in American history. As a matter of fact, in just a couple weeks, 1.2 million Americans fought at that time, 26,000 were killed, and 95,000 were wounded. And our grandfather, being a machine gunner, it was said that the average life of a machine gunner in that trench warfare was between 15 and 45 seconds. And yet you read for a couple years, not only the, the Americans, but the French and others just sent men to the front to die, sent them to the front to stand in this line uh, and basically give their lives uh, for what they were fighting for. And so uh, we were there and we were reading a few things, and, and I read this off the wall on the very day uh, that our grandfather was wounded in that battle. And then you had this letter from a, from a Corporal Lewis who was from Colorado, and he's writing home just a few days later. And he said this. He said, I am back from the front, and believe me, I have just come out of one of the worst battles of the war. And then he says, the American soldiers are the most gallant, brave, witty, and stubborn fighters in the world. And I thought, that's Memorial Day, isn't it? Uh, that's what we want to remember about our veterans and about those who many, many, many who gave their lives. What was interesting about that that we found out our two grandfathers 
didn't have children at that time. And as a matter of fact, uh, well, if they did, they, they weren't married, so they wouldn't have known each other. And it's very possible that the, our grandfather that was wounded as a machine gunner was taken to the hospital where our other grandfather was a medic and may have been in the exact same uh, location, though they wouldn't have known each other at that time. Okay, enough of personal history. But you have that personal history, don't you? We all do, of things that have happened uh, to our family and so forth. Now let's go back to this text, and, and notice I have six or seven things that I want to say about military service, because the Bible honors military service and often uses it as examples of the Christian life. And so we ought to recognize a few things from this poem that we read a few minutes ago. First of all, as you see in my list there, military service is honorable. It's an honorable thing before God. As a matter of fact, I read you a quote uh, where, where uh, Moses says, God will go with you and fight for you against your enemies. And so notice in verse 22, he speaks about this bow of Jonathan and the sword of Saul. These are the kings of Israel and the family. You remember that old expression, Saul has killed his thousands, but Jonathan, or excuse me, David his ten thousands. And that was an honor, both to Saul and to David. And again, uh, Moses says, before you go into this land, you remember that God will go with you and God will fight for you. What's interesting is that even in the New Testament, our Christian life is very often expressed as a warfare, isn't it? You remember these verses? Fight the good fight of, fight, of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are called. Or I have, Paul says at the end of his life, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And so often that's the case. And remember the hymns that we sing. I'm going to come back to these in a few minutes. But when we sing Onward Christian Soldiers... We're, we're using warfare as an expression, not that we really go to war, of course, uh, as Christians, that is, uh, to fight for Christianity, but rather our fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil is a war. Uh, we have a battle to fight against uh, the things of Satan. So military service, first of all, is honorable. Secondly, military death, then, is honorable. For someone to die in, in a battle. And that's what this passage is about, isn't it? As we read about David uh, honoring Saul and Jonathan for their death. Remember in these three verses, uh, 19, 25, and 27, they are called the mighty. How the mighty have fallen. And even in verse 19, the, these that have died are called the beauty of Israel. The beauty of Israel, those who gave their lives for our country. Verse 23, they are swifter than eagles. They are stronger than lions. And in 17, when, when David is giving his lamentation, uh, he's praising his, Saul who tried to kill him all of his life. And he's praising the man. You know, funerals are the time uh, to give eulogies. That is good words. Uh, funerals are the time to honor those and thank uh, people for what they did. I want you to notice verse 20. After he said how the mighty have fallen, then he said, Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. You know what he's saying? Don't, 
don't do something that would let our enemies say bad things about our fallen leaders. Let's praise them. Let's use them in a good way. Let's uh, speak of them in a way that they can't be cursed or can't be maligned. And in verse 24, he does it for King Saul. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. This is the same man that tried to nail him to the wall with his javelin a number of times. This, this is the same one who chased him all over Israel to try to kill him. And David wouldn't strike back against Saul. And now in his death, uh, he praises Saul for all that he's done. I, I was reading Matthew Henry among a number of other people because I like old Matthew Henry. He said this, let the corrupt part of the memory be buried with the corrupt part of the man. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, let the blemish be hidden and a veil be drawn over the deformity. They're dead and gone. Let's talk about the good things that they did. You know, in this country, we had two presidents assassinated, Lincoln and Kennedy, and of course they were the, uh, the chief uh, uh, of our officers. They are the head of our military. Uh, and uh, yet they died in service. They both had blemishes. That's okay. We talk well, well about them. As a matter of fact, for that matter, MacArthur and, and Patton <laughs> had their blemishes, didn't they, both of them? And yet we talk about them as heroes of the war. For that matter, so did Churchill and Eisenhower in World War II. They had their blemishes too, but we, we try to praise the men that have fallen and try to speak well of them. I was thinking as I was writing this down that men of God have done this too. You know, you know the name Charles Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon. In, in 1857, he was invited by the government to speak uh, to the nation to encourage the troops over in India that were trying to help with an uprising there. And Spurgeon, as that great pastor, came to the Crystal Palace in 1857 and spoke before 23,654 people without a microphone. I am speaking to about 50, but I have to have a microphone, you know. And he encouraged the troops to do that, that great preacher. Do you know that Winston Churchill... It was during the Battle of France that he said uh, this was their, fine, their uh, uh, finest hour. That's where the blood, sweat, and tears speech came from. And it was C.S. Lewis in his famous book, Mere Christianity, that was actually radio broadcast during the bombing of London to encourage the people of London in their faith. And it turned into that great apologetic book that we have now. So good men have taken their place, too, and spoken well about their country and about those who have fought in the war. Lawlessness is sin. And lawlessness is sin, whether that's individual or nationally. And that is why uh, people have to protect themselves. Police work to sheriffs to soldiers are all uh, people who have to protect themselves, and they do it against lawlessness. Government was established by God to protect countries and for the punishment of evildoers, as Paul says. And so there are just been those times when even a country has to do the police work 
and has to defend themselves against other countries. And when that happens, just as we praise those in blue who do it as, as policemen on the street, we praise those in military uniform also who have protected us against lawlessness worldwide. So notice that there are uh, righteous wars and military uh, is honorable also. And then fourthly, notice there's camaraderie in war. I thought this was interesting in verse 23. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles and stronger than lions. They were divided in their life. Uh, Jonathan uh, was, was David's friend, and Saul didn't like that one bit, and often they were divided. But here in their death, for their unified purpose of protecting their country and dying together hand in hand on Mount Goboa, he says that they were not divided in their death. So everyone, I guess, in a foxhole is a comrade, right? If you're in a foxhole next to somebody, that's your friend. That, that's your comrade. So I enjoy seeing on Veterans Day flags flying and, and you see uh, veterans wearing their military cap of some kind or, or uh, something on their lapel or something like that. It's a good time. National cemeteries uh, across the country are are decorated and there's programs going on. And as I said, our president will lay a wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier. Uh, and I've been there once in my life and seen that done. And it's an amazing thing to watch the honor that, that has happened there. Our brother, Milburn Reagan, who's with the Lord now as a member of our church and a Korean War veteran. I think he did 42 uh, raids as the point man into enemy territory during the uh, Korean War. And he was wounded and got a Purple Heart, but he came home. And he would tell the story how he and a friend, when the war was done and they were moving out and going home, that they were standing at a roadside and the trucks were going by. And the trucks went by carrying the bodies of American soldiers who had died in Korea. And Milburn said his friend turned to him and said, freedom isn't free, is it, Milburn? Freedom isn't free. You know, Milburn was not a Christian at that time. And later he heard a sermon about how, how salvation is free to us, but it's not free to God. That God gave his only begotten son and paid the price for us to have salvation. Milburn said he remembered those words that were spoken to him, and he realized what God had done for him, and he came to Christ as Savior. So freedom isn't free. These are your comrades, and when they are, honor them. Let me move quickly then to number five. And I inserted this, I think, for the reason so that we as American citizens can think about this. Sometimes we have to declare war. Sometimes we have to do it as a nation also. A nation sometimes must defend itself, and that's why we have military, and that's why we have an army and a navy and air force and, and marines and the rest. And so do you realize that only 11 times in, in uh, U.S. history we've actually declared war? And the first one was in 1812, the War of 1812, the Great Britain. Of course, we didn't declare war, uh, the revolution, because we didn't have a government to declare war to at that time. But uh, that was the first one. And then there was the Mexican-American, the Spanish-American War. World War I was a declared war. Do you know what the last, the last time that America declared war was? It was World War II. The last time we actually 
uh, went through the right process to declare war, they did. And they declared war. We had to then on Japan and Germany and Italy and Bulgaria and Hungary and Romania because we had to protect ourselves. Now, in wartime, folks, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's true in our military history and in our, among our leaders and among our soldiers. There's no doubt about that. We have to remember that, that we are not Israel. Uh, we, are, we are not the people of God on the earth. But when you honor God, he honors you. And when a nation will honor God, uh, then God will honor that nation, I believe. And it was George Washington who, who uh, in 1776 at the Battle of Long Island said this, Let us rely, therefore, upon the goodness of our cause and the aid of the supreme being in whose hands victory is to animate and encourage us to great and noble actions. And that's what we try to do in this country. And so when we have to declare war, there is such a thing as a righteous war as we've seen, and then we have the right to honor that and to honor those who go to war and even who especially give their lives for that. And then two more thoughts. Number six is you understand, again, that the Christian life is a war, right? It's a war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's a, it's a spiritual war, and in fact, folks, our Christian war is more important than any world war that's ever been fought. Nations may come and go, people's lives will come and go, but heaven and hell are thirsty. And heaven and hell are still there for every person who leaves this life to go to one place or another. And so speaking the gospel and giving the truth of the scriptures to the world is a war in itself. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 6, you know it well, finally my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts in high places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. And so the scriptures always tell us to fight the good fight of faith and put on the armor of God. I referred to you our, our Christian hymns a little bit ago. Remember these words that we have sung in our hymn book for hundreds of years? Stand up, stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war do you remember this one? There's a royal banner given for display to the soldiers of the cross. And Philip Bliss wrote, Hold the fort, for I am coming. Jesus signals still. Uh, we uh, Wave the answer back from heaven. By thy grace we will. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us so. Sound the battle cry. See the foe is nigh. Raise the standard high for the Lord. And Isaac Watts, my favorite songwriter, said, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? I mean, if God sends us to the front line uh, to do battle against the powers of the darkness, am I a fearful soldier of the cross? We shouldn't be. And let us remember this too. 
2 Corinthians 10 says, we walk, though we walk in the flesh, this body, we do not war after the flesh. In other words, we may fight as soldiers for our country. We may serve as policemen or, 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 or officers uh, for uh, law enforcement. But the war that we're talking about for the Christian is a spiritual war. We can't fight it with actual weapons. We must fight it with the armor of God and the weapons of God. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You want a war that you have to fight? Bring your thoughts into obedience to Christ and be a frontline soldier in that war. And that's pretty hard to do. So you know who our veterans are, Christian? Our veterans are those martyrs who were thrown to the lions and burned at the cross and, and died for the faith that they were trying to proclaim. Our missionaries who give their lives in a foreign land and give up everything in this world to go to those front lines and preach the gospel uh, till sometimes uh, death finds them there. Or I say all who have lived their lives for God from now till death. And I hope that is you and me. I hope, I hope that we will live our lives uh, until we die. Paul said at the end, I have fought a good fight, and I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. And may that be us as soldiers of the cross also. And then I have one more reminder, number seven, and that is Jesus will return one day, and he will return and claim his own. He'll even claim this world that he created as his own. And Revelation 19 says he will come on a white horse from heaven. And those verses say, in righteousness, he will judge and make war. Jesus is coming to do that. And when he comes to judge and to make war, there are only two sides to be on. There are no, there are no uh, bystanders and no uh, neutral parties when he comes. There are the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares. There's those that have oil in their lamps and those who do not. There's those who have on the proper wedding garment and those who do not. And to tell you the truth, all of Earth's history and all of Earth's wars and all of the countries that have come and gone are simply a preparation for the final conflict when there will be nothing but heaven and hell and you will spend eternity in one or the other. And so the real battle and the real conflict is over your soul. And Jesus Christ had died on the cross to save you from that hell and from that eternal damnation and give you eternal life with God. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, that's the real battle, and you need to accept him today. Let me end with these simple words. Tomorrow, if you're around a cemetery, you will hear someone with a bugle play taps do you know where that came from, taps? We call it that because it used to be before there was ever such a tune or even words that at funerals the drummer would tap on his drum and he would tap slowly and that signaled the death of a soldier as they put him in the ground. And so someone realizing that put that to trumpet notes 
so that uh, you hear that those sounds as they go by, and you hear that sound from the trumpet. Someone even later than that put them, put them to words, and if you knew those words or could memor, remember them as you hear that trumpet sound or those taps, the words would be very simple. They go, day is done, gone the sun, from the sky, from the lakes, from the hills, and from the sky, all is rest, all is well, safely rest, God is nigh. That's what happens when a soldier dies. They go on to God. They go on to their reward, not just for being a physical soldier, but whether or not they know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. We will all die if the Lord doesn't come back in the rapture. We will all die. And I ask you, do you safely rest? And is God nigh when that hour comes to you? I hope that it is. I want you to stand with me now, if you will. And as we stand... We sing a song of invitation here, and we let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts at the close of a service. We're going to do that in a moment. But let's go to the Lord in prayer, and let's ask his help uh, of his Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts as we do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us of the price that is often paid, even for freedom. And we stand before you as people who are the benefits of that sacrifice that others have made. And we thank you for it. We thank you that in this country we have the freedom that we have. We know, Father, that you have blessed this land and this country for 200 years. And Father, we also know that we sin greatly before you on this day. And so, Father, we ask your forgiveness. We ask for your help. We ask, Father, for the conviction of your spirit. But in even doing that, we thank you for your blessings. Father, we know more than that. We thank you that you gave your only begotten son to die on a cross for my sins, for our sins, for the sins of the whole world, that we by faith can receive him as Savior and have eternal life. We thank you for that. We thank you for the price that you paid for our salvation. And so, Father, I pray that even today as we remember great things about our country, we pray, Father, that wherever the gospel is preached today, that souls might receive Christ as their Savior and, and gain that final victory. We pray that that would happen. And we pray, Father, I pray in our hearing, whether in this auditorium or, or through this live stream, that someone might hear the gospel and turn to Christ as Savior. So bless us as we think about these things and sing this song. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So we sing a song. Our invitation is open. I'm at the front of the auditorium as we sing. And even after the service is closed, I'm still here. If the Lord has spoken to your heart and you need some help from God's word, you see me either as we sing or after we sing. Gordon will come and lead us in an invitation song. Amen. 